0: Welcome back to the Historical Paranormal Podcast. I hope y'all had a great holiday. This is the last episode of the year, and let me tell you, it is a doozy. And I know I've said that before, and it's been true before. (laughs) I mean, nothing's not right about that, but it's still. um, We are going to be discussing the murderer, Clemente Apolinar Partida. And he lived in the early 20th century in San Antonio. So we've discussed before we get into all that, we've discussed the state of mental care in the early 20th century before. And we're going to discuss it again, because it plays a pivotal role in the fate of Clemente Apolinar Partida. And I learned about this story from an account I follow actively on Instagram. And he is at San Fernando Two Stories. He frequently posts stories about those long Buried in that historic cemetery. And he brings their stories to life again and he also restores their graves. His work is approved by the Archdiocese of San Antonio and he prefers not to share his name to keep the focus on his work. And I encourage you to follow him, even if you don't live nearby, because the information he shares is always so well researched and you'll see a lot of it referenced for this show. He is just such an amazing person, and then in his his vocation, if I can call it that, um, is beautiful, and it's all about that preservation that I love. So, let's get cracking into the story. Clemente apolinar Partido was born in 1891 and suffered a head injury early in his youth. I couldn't find a lot about what happened to him or who his parents were. Some articles say that he was a Mexican citizen who'd made his way to San Antonio. Um, But if he was, he had to have come pretty early on with his family. During this time in San Antonio, immigration was booming due to the Mexican Revolution, and it was easy to become a citizen, especially in such a welcoming city that already had a large Mexican population. Fun fact, it was during this time that my great-grandparents and their families immigrated to Texas, also due to the rising violence of the Revolution. After Clemente's injury healed, his family began noticing some odd and at times violent behavior. Um, I'm gonna guess, even though not a serial killer, um, but I'm gonna guess that this had to do with some murders of animals or mutilation of animals. And we'll see that come into play a little bit later on, and you'll see why I say that. But in 1907, at the age of 16, he was taken to Southwestern Insane Asylum on Precious Street in San Antonio to be evaluated for insanity. There, he was indeed declared insane and was committed. He would be evaluated again in 1909 and in 1916, both times being deemed insane and violent to boot. After the 1916 evaluation, Apollinar must have felt he'd had it with life at the asylum, because a year later, in 1917, he escaped. Not much was heard from him after that, and it appears that he went just back to his home, to his family. On Wednesday, August 16th, 1921, two brothers, 13-year-old Theodore and 10-year-old Kirby Bernhard, were herding cattle near Sutherland Springs, outside of San Antonio. They'd stop to let their cattle drink water from a spring for a moment. And imagine that idyllic scene. You have two brothers with their cattle, letting them sip water from a stream in an unspoiled Texas landscape. It just, it seems before everything else happens, like it was really nice. The cattle had muddied up the water for anyone downstream to drink from it. And there we find Clemente Apollinar. He was trying to drink water from the same stream the boys were at, and he was upset that they were letting their cows drink from it. He confronted the boys, and Theodore must have stepped in to tell Apollinar off. It should be said that there is another version of this story that had the boys throwing rocks at Clemente and taunting him about his appearance. This only appeared in one article, but in the event that it appears more or comes up at any point, I thought I'd include it. Whichever scenario manifested, they both end the same way. Clemente begins to attack Theodore. And Kirby, as he's running away, sees him beating Theodore with a large stone. When police finally got to the scene, they found just a grisly nightmare of a a body. Clemente had had a little time. With Theodore's body before the police had gotten there. And in that time, he scooped Theodore's brains out of his skull, which he'd smashed with the large stone. And instead of stopping there, he then filled that skull with rocks and then gouged out the boy's eyes, putting him them in his vest pocket. After Clemente left the scene, court records show that he stopped in the yard of a woman to drink from her hydrant. And when she came out to see who is in her yard, he showed her the eyes and said, Doesn't it look like the eye of a dog? Which there makes me think, like, how would you even know what the eye of a dog looks like? Like the eyeball of a dog, you know? And clearly, you've seen it. So that made me think that maybe he had some hand and I don't know, mutilation. Because I mean, how do you come across that knowledge, you know? So Apollinar was arrested soon thereafter, and he made a really quick confession. And it wasn't just quick. It was also really concise. So I'm going to quote his confession. He says, I went to the spring to get a drink and the boys muddled it and it made me mad. I killed that boy because he made me mad. So pretty to the point. After looking into Apollinar's background, the court assigned him an attorney who made the argument that he was not fit to stand trial, by reason of insanity, of course. On December 21st, 1922, the court and attorneys met to discuss whether Clemente was indeed sane enough to stand trial. In light of his explanation and his willingness to discuss it, along with, I imagine, his lack of remorse— He was judged sane and was declared guilty, of sound mind, and sentenced to death by hanging. Hanging wasn't common in San Antonio as a method of execution at this point in its history. Hanging as a method of legal execution in and of itself would be outlawed in Texas in 1924 in favor of the electric chair, which was seen as, I don't know, like a kinder method of execution, as we well know it's not, (laughs) and uh, would itself go away. But hangings were so few and far between that San Antonio did not have a professional hangman on staff for this occasion. Instead, the city commissioned C.H. Walter, the chauffeur of the fire chief, to do the job. He tested the noose with 200 pounds of sandbags to ensure that the trapdoor that would open underneath Apollinar would indeed spring open with the body's weight and that the noose would hold it. While these tests were taking place, Clemente met often with members of the clergy to get their spiritual advice in the days before his hanging. And I do want to note that not everyone was on board with Clemente's execution. There were many who argued that he had been declared insane three times before his crime by a panel of doctors, and he shouldn't be executed, only committed back to the Southwestern insane asylum. The Texas governor at the time, Pat Morris Neff, was even asked to step in and intervene to stop the execution, which he refused to do. So on that, too, I want to put in that escapes from the Southwestern insane asylum happen quite often. Um, keep in mind that still at this point, you could commit a family member who was bothersome, maybe an addict, for example, or a thief or a forger, or whatever, you could commit them with just two doctor signatures. So it was really easy to commit people. And if you weren't actually insane or, you know, had half a brain, you could escape from these institutions, especially the Southwestern insane asylum, apparently, because these escapes happened all the time there. Um, That is actually still in use as the San Antonio Mental Hospital or San Antonio State Hospital, and it still stands. So... We don't see that often when we cover these old insane asylums um, that they're still standing and in use, but here we are. It is still there. So leading up to the morning of his execution, Clemente was described as well-behaved and even calm, trying on a new suit and telling the visiting priests, I look different, don't I? On Friday, February 23rd, 1923, Paulinar entered the old Bear County Jailhouse on Cameroon Street alongside four Catholic priests and walked up the stairs to the third floor where executions took place. The gallows were designed so that the condemned would fall through the trap door in the floor down to the second floor where journalists and doctors were gathered. I believe the family of Theodore Bernhard and the other guests of the execution either chose to or were only given the option to watch From the third floor. Either way, the third floor was packed that day with over a hundred people, while others still were on the second floor. The prisoners, who were all around apparently, were singing nearer my God to thee as Clemente walked up the steps to the gallows, praying with the priests in Latin. Once there, he was given a requisition to sign for his coffin, before receiving a final blessing by the priests. When offered a black hood, He refused it for unknown reasons, and the noose was slipped around his neck. As he fell through the trap door to the second floor below, and the rope pulled at his neck, it did something far more gruesome than just break it. As it turns out, the rope used was probably too thin or too rough for Clemente's neck because his throat was slit straight across, nearly decapitating him, And as it did that, it sprayed blood eight feet from his body onto the journalists and doctors on the second floor. And it left his near headless body dangling in front of them, which was just awful. I can't even imagine having to be a witness to that scene. It was determined that when the rope snapped, the carotid, excuse me if I'm saying it incorrectly, the carotid artery and the jugular vein had been severed. As the blood sprayed, An inmate was heard to say, cut him off the rope and hang the man that hung him. 5,000 people had gathered outside the courthouse on Cameroon for the hanging, even though they couldn't see it. And as they dispersed the story of the botched hanging of the mentally ill, 30-year-old man was told. While Clemente did die quickly, this execution would be considered botched, and one of the doctors was quick to say, that in all of his 25 years, he had never seen a neck cut by a hanging rope. And you know what? It's great to say that 25 years later, but it really can't be blamed on the hangman. He was a chauffeur. He was a chauffeur. I mean, did they pick out of a hat or something? Like, was there a raffle among government officials to see who'd get the job to hang this dude? Like, she's and crackers, y'all. You can't blame C.H. Walter. He tried. And I think they interviewed him like 50 years later about it, and he talked about the tests and stuff in the uh, San Antonio Express News. But man, I, I would hate to be him. Like, I, how awful to even be part of that. This whole story is awful. So just, if I didn't it, but mention it before, the old Bear County jailhouse where this took place is actually, it's still standing on Cameroon Street, and it is now a Holiday Inn Express. And there is reportedly a lot of paranormal activity that happens there. And we're not through with the story. I'm just put it, putting this in there. And it now occurs to me that it could just be Cameron Street. I don't know. Having lived in this city for as long as I have, I don't know if it's Cameron, which would be weird because it's the word for shrimp in Spanish, or if it's Cameron. And you know what? For everyone listening who knows this and is laughing at me right now, it's hilarious. And I would laugh with you if it was not me. Um, but please correct me in the comments. Let me know if it's Cameron or if it's Cameron because I would feel very embarrassed if it was Cameron. Anyway, three days later, his funeral was held at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church, where, by the way, my grandparents would get married 28 years later. Interesting small world, especially downtown. A lot of his families in San Antonio are connected to downtown, and mine is one of them. But anyway, the funeral was attended by his family, of course but thousands proceeded with them to his final resting place in the San Fernando I Cemetery. A 40-piece band even played for the procession of the citizens and members of Mexican fraternal societies. Not much is known about the funeral for Theodore Bernhard. His parents' stories and their grief are lost to time, and they all now reside in City Cemetery 4 off of South New Braunfels in San Antonio. Well, I know that mental health played a huge part in this and that Clemente himself should be pitied for everything that he went through as well. Why did they celebrate the killer and not the victim? The boy's parents, who had to identify their oldest child and see his soul crushed, looking for the eyes that they knew so well and just finding dark and bloody holes. Where was their 40-piece band? Were there thousands of citizens lining up for Theodore's funeral? Were there fraternal societies willing to walk with them in their darkest moments? I don't know. I do know that Kirby passed away in 1982 and that Theodore's grave has Buddy written across the top of it, his parents' nickname for him. When reading this summary across three different posts on um, San Fernando Two Stories, I found that it just kept getting worse and worse. And this awful story highlights the incredible importance... That mental health care has on today's society. And I'm quoting from the post here, Clemente was obviously ill and this tragedy could have been avoided. Here, here, absolutely could have been avoided um, with the proper, proper mental health care, but it does illustrate how far we've come as a society. When I asked, by the way, if I could use his posts in this episode, the author agreed and said that Clemente was mentally ill and that stories of the victims are often lost in the story of the killer, which still happens to this day. He prayed at both of their graves, and I have to say again, the work he does is so wonderful. And I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but I'm going to say this again, the preservation of our history is so profoundly important, not just for us, but for our posterity, and in a little way for us right now, because one day we're going to be history. One day, hopefully someone will be cleaning our graves if we're buried and we'll tell our stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow me. I'm at historical paranormal on Instagram. And we also have at San Fernando two stories, which contributed largely to this, this episode. So thank you for that. Um, follow us both. And I look forward to hearing your stories and hearing your feedback on this episode. Y'all have a wonderful new year. Happy new year. And hopefully 2021 is not the dumpster fire that 2020 was, right? All right. Bye, you guys.